2: Tonight on The Readout.
1: The Hunter Biden laptop. The Hunter Biden laptop
0: story. The Hunter laptop. The Hunter Biden laptop. The FBI censorship protected free speech. An Orwellian
1: ministry of truth. Sounds like a shakedown, doesn't it, director?
2: gray before the Republican-controlled House Judiciary Committee immediately goes off the rails with an unhinged bombardment of all the old festering conspiracy theories. Also tonight, Iowa Republicans pass a draconian abortion ban, not even allowing a clear-cut exemption for raped children. Plus, the U.S. military is the latest target of the right-wing culture wars, with Senator Tommy Tuberville blocking military promotions. And now a school district is banning the military memoir, Jarhead. Author Anthony Swafford joins me tonight. But we begin tonight with the ongoing efforts by Donald Trump's MAGA minions in Congress to go to bat for their dear leader, acting not as representatives of the American people, but as an extension of the defense team for the twice impeached, twice indicted former president. You may remember that one of Trump's most loyal followers in the House, Jim Jordan, made it very clear last summer that defending Trump was going to be their top priority, with just one goal in mind if they took the House in the midterms.
1: All those things need to be investigated just so you have the truth. Plus, that will help frame up the 2024 race when I hope and I think President Trump is going to run again and we need to make sure that he wins.
2: And there it is. We need to make sure that he wins. And keeping to his word, House Republicans have made every attempt to do just that. In the past six months, we've seen House Republicans hold hearings attacking the prosecutors investigating Donald Trump, including Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg. They formed the sham weaponization of the federal government subcommittee to go after the so-called deep state. And almost no interview with any of these House members would be complete without an unhinged attack on Biden and his family. And yet they are the ones shouting from the rooftops that it's the Democrats who are weaponizing the government. That brings us to today. Where Jim Jordan wore his hat as the ringleader of the House Judiciary Committee circus, masquerading as a congressional hearing with FBI director Christopher Wray, a registered Republican who was nominated to the job by Donald Trump in 2017, at which time Trump called him a man of impeccable credentials. Republican theatrics at these House hearings tend to be so hilariously dumb, they become viral TikTok hits. But there was nothing funny about the hearing today. In fact, quite the opposite. Republican members not only went on the attack against the FBI and Ray, but they openly aired bizarre right wing conspiracy theories like that January 6th was possibly an FBI setup and that the pipe bomb found outside DNC headquarters on January 6th might have been a false flag. Thankfully, Ray was prepared. The American people fully understand that there is a two tier justice system that has been weaponized to persecute people based on their political beliefs and that you have personally been weapon- that you have personally worked to weaponize the FBI against conservatives
0: well first off, I would disagree with your characterization of the FBI and certainly your description of my own approach. Uh, the idea that i 'm biased against conservatives uh, seems. Somewhat insane to me, uh, given my own personal background. Your job is to review what they do. Your job is to protect the American people from a tyrannical FBI storming the home of an American family. I, I could not disagree more with your description of the FBI as tyrannical. You seem deeply uncurious about it, don't you? Almost suspiciously uncurious. Are you protecting the Bidens? A- absolutely not. The FBI well, does you not want to que- no Hold interest on. You won't answer the question about whether or not that's
2: Joining me now is Peter Strzok, former FBI counterintelligence agent, and Michael Steele, former RNC chair, MSNBC political analyst, and host of the Michael Steele podcast. Uh, Where to begin? Uh, Peter, you know, when Christopher Wray says my own personal backgrounds, he means he's a Republican, right? He's a conservative Republican who was nominated by Donald Trump, who only has the job because Donald Trump gave it to him and praised him when he gave it to him. I just wonder what you, as a former FBI official, made of watching this spectacle in which Republicans berated another Republican because of what he's not MAGA enough?
0: Yeah, uh, it was really good to see, I think, a little bit of a hard edge coming from Director Ray. I mean, the fact of the matter is, you know, when these crazy conspiracy theories are thrown out there, it is important for people in leadership positions at DOJ and certainly at the FBI to speak out. What we saw today from Director Ray in those clips that you just showed, you know, frankly, I would have liked to have seen a good four or five years ago when these things started being thrown out there. But that is absolutely the sort of direct rebuttal from somebody at the lead of the organization needs to be saying it's important to push back on members of the Congress. It's important for the American people to hear from him that this is nonsense. And it's so important for the men and women of the FBI to hear their leader up there taking up the standard and befitting the work that they're doing. It's been a long time coming. And frankly, I was very glad to see it.
2: Uh, I mean, obviously, Christopher Ray was prepared for this, Michael Steele. But I mean, there is some irony here, right? I mean, there was a time when the FBI actually was kind of politicized. I mean, during J. Edgar Hoover, like, they literally told Dr. King to kill himself. They couldn't, you know, said the Civil Rights Movement were all communists. Um, they uh, went after and surveilled not only Dr. King, but Fred Hampton, who they essentially got killed, not even essentially, um, orchestrated the raid that got him murdered. Falsely convicted Black Panther Geronimo Pratt of murder. I could go on, I planted a story that actress Jean Seberg was pregnant by a black panther leading for her to kill herself, which is what, again, they wanted King to do. And so historically, it's been black people, <laughs> it's been black folks and liberals and, and the Democrats who've been suspicious of the FBI and for a real legitimate reason. It was weaponized, right, against the civil rights movement. Now it, what you it, have, it was. if you look at the polls, well, just one second, what do you have when you look at the polls, Michael, is that it, now it's Republicans who don't trust the FBI. The favorability among Democrats is 79%. I don't have it broken down by race, but that is some ironic stuff, uh, Michael Steele, because it's well, now, it, it yeah. is,
3: Yeah, now it is ironic, and it is the kind of stuff that just really makes you want to reach for a nice gin and tonic and to sit back and <laughs> muse on it, um, which I'm going to do right after this segment. But— <laughs> You would need an answer now. And the answer is not a complicated <laughs> one. You're absolutely right. The the uh, FBI did have notorious behavior uh, in the past. It, it was born out of the McCarthyite uh, period uh, in our history, going all the way even further back to when uh, J. Edgar Hoover took over and using it as his own sort of form of weaponization against members of Congress, et cetera. But they reformed themselves, and the country, when they found out, was appalled. And the, and the FBI, uh, now for over a generation, has cleaned up its act, recognized this role in an important service to the country. What is ironic is that the very Republicans who would argue for that FBI are the ones who have turned against it. Uh, and, and has has looked at uh, the, the steps that the FBI has made and, and more in a particular way, I don't know how the men and women who serve uh, in the agency uh, look at the the hill anymore and think these individuals have their back because they don't, and they're against them, they're against them. Why? Because Donald Trump told them to be. Yeah. That's how lame they are. That's how lame Jim Jordan is. He, does, he can't put the sentence together on his own. It's got to be placed in his mouth by Donald Trump because the facts belie the very sentence that comes out of his mouth about the FBI protecting the Bidens, the FBI, you know, in some um, conspiracy. When you're talking about noted conservatives who hold the position of director <laughs> you know now suddenly uh, using the institution and and you go back to even the end to the election and you have them you know talking about how the FBI helped Hillary Clinton i'm like were y'all in the same <laughs> room
2: when that, when those facts made they think Hillary thinks she got help. Made public it- You know, it it is wild, Peter, as as, somebody you served in in the—I mean, after 73, after the COINTELPRO information came out, that is when overall standing of the FBI plummeted. And building back the FBI standing was a, you know, sort of generational project of later FBI directors. James Comey, also a Republican, right? I mean, these are Republicans. And it is interesting that, you know, it's a 10-year term because they want it to be less politicized. But most of the previous directors have been Republicans and conservatives. It's, you know, people who are— and they're the police. Right. They want to now defund the police. So now they're saying they're the ones saying defund the federal police. I want to just ask you about this, because you been your investigator there. What the right is basically angry about is that they have all these conspiracy theories that Trump made up. Trump will truth social something. He's the only one who apparently uses truth social. I've never quoted anyone else's truth social post. He's the only one who apparently uses it. He screams something in some conspiracy. And what Jim Jordan and them are mad about is that your former colleagues won't then go and investigate it, no matter how loony it is. Is that how you read it, that they just want their conspiracy theories validated by a real federal agency?
0: I think what they want is anybody to look at anyone other than Trump. I mean, this is entirely trying to get the investigation surrounding Trump shut down. There is nothing about the organization other than the fact that they are looking at Trump. You know, Drew, I was struck listening to some campaign audio of Donald Trump in 2016, lionizing, praising Jim Comey and the FBI and the work they were doing that was going to lead to Hillary Clinton's indictment. (laughs) And that if she was indicted, she should step down because there's no way as a candidate under indictment she should be running. The FBI were heroes in the fall of 2016. The only thing that's changed, the only thing that's changed is that Donald Trump's repeated criminality has come under investigation by the FBI and by other law enforcement entities. And that is what has made this sudden pivot, you know, this this radical upside down. I mean, the organization I spent more than 20 years there, it is a deeply conservative organization. And, you know, Michael's absolutely right. And you are the amount of things that have changed. Post Hoover have been remarkable, but it is still a very conservative organization. So this is entirely upside down. It's entirely to protect Trump.
2: Let, let, let me cue Ted Lieu because he made exactly that point. Here he is at the hearing.
0: What these facts show is we don't have a two tiered system of justice. We have one Department of Justice that goes after criminals, regardless of party ideology. All of these folks, were convicted under the administrations of three separate Republican attorneys general. It is not the fault of the FBI that Donald Trump surrounded himself with criminals. Donald Trump brought that upon himself.
2: And Michael still, what he did before that is he went through uh, Roger Stone, Elliot Brady, Michael Cohen, Paul Manafort, Rick Gates, and George Papadopoulos all convicted and investigated by Republican (laughs) prosecutors. The end. It's not the FBI's fault that Donald Trump surrounded himself with people who wound up in prison.
3: And that's the part that causes the Jim Jordans to choke, because at the end of the day, that truth is what is stuck in their throats, that these individuals uh, worked for a president uh, who were picked by that president, that individuals like Jordan and others in leadership, you know, approved of, applauded, said nothing about. And then when the house of crime is exposed, right, they're left uh, sitting there going, what happened? How did that? Now we got to go out and try to explain this. And that's where Peter is exactly right. That's where it runs up against the the, the reforms that the uh, FBI have made, the reforms we've seen at Justice Department. I mean, you look at you look at the attorney general, you know, you got you got Barr and others out there who are all gun ho. We we're ready to do. It, and then all of a sudden, when the criminality started, they were like, wait a check, please. <laughs> <laughs>
2: And by the way, by the way, if there had been criminality in the Biden family, if anyone was going to be willing to jail a Biden, it was Barr. And he didn't do it. He wound up really jailing Cohen because Cohen did something for Trump. Even some of them who went to jail, went to jail because they did stuff for Trump. Stuff he wanted them to do. (laughs) That's not anybody's fault but Donald Trump and not the FBI's fault. Sorry, Uh, Peter Strzok, Michael Steele. Michael Steele, go get your gin and tonic. Thank you very much for being here. Sorry to keep you from it for so long. (laughs) Thank you very much. Coming up next on The Readout, a six-week abortion ban backed by Christian fundamentalists is headed to the desk of Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds, who says she will sign it despite its overwhelming unpopularity. The Readout continues after this. Iowa is now ground zero in America's abortion debate, as hundreds gathered at the state capitol on Tuesday over a bill that would ban abortion after six weeks. After a marathon special session late last night when Republicans thought you were sleeping, the Iowa legislature approved the bill, joining Georgia as a state that bans abortion before most people even know that they are pregnant. Republican Governor Kim Reynolds is expected to sign the bill on Friday. Here's a snippet of what happened during the 14-hour debate.
1: Everyone is free not to have sex If they're not prepared to have a baby, they shouldn't have sex
4: For the love of Pete That's child abuse We're standing here debating a bill to save babies, but yet we would put a 12 year old 11 year old a 10 year old through this Give me a break
2: Making abortions illegal is simply a sanctimonious, self-righteous form of violence against women. The language is very confusing in the legislation. Like, how close to death does a woman have to be for me to intervene? I do not want a woman to die on my watch. But it was gloves off for Des Moines president, or Des Moines resident Felicia Hilton, who minced no words when dragging Iowa Republicans for filth.
5: This is absolutely an offense to women. This is an offense to everybody. And it is offensive that you're going to go celebrate the oppression of women at a church. Church Ma'am, that's is been, not there. It's no. been
6: over three minutes. It
5: doesn't matter. This is a yes. lie. You guys are lying to yourselves and you're am, offending
0: everyone, including God. I am happy to God. let you have your say, but yeah, you, your you say God. was three minutes.
2: I do not care. This state is ridiculous. Joining me now is the woman you just heard, Felicia Hilton, a pro-choice supporter from Des Moines, Iowa, along with Dr. Emily Bavers, an OBGYN also in Iowa. Thank you both for being here. Uh, Ms. Felicia Hilton, I'm just going to let you talk more, because I, I we, we saw a little bit more of your remarks, and I know part of your issue, too, was that this supposedly pro-life state, the governor just signed a bill making it harder for people to get food, for people to get SNAP benefits, so they ain't that pro-life, so I'm going to let you talk. Go ahead and finish your thoughts that you had that they didn't want right. to let you finish.
5: Well, I mean, I think that there's a lot of things since I've moved here um, that, you know, it's it's almost like if you move anywhere, you want to make sure that where you're moving and, and relocating your family is a, a decent place. And when we first came in 2012, um, Barack Obama was the president. Iowa had, you know, moved forward in the caucuses supporting him. He won in 20. 12 he won the state i think by like five points so we just percentage points we didn't think you know anything of it i mean it's not it doesn't matter to us we just thought that it was be it would be a okay place to relocate for work and um ever since we've been here and they've had the trifecta i think in 2017 it's just been you know every year it's worse and worse and worse and um you know, what was really troubling to me is that uh, SNAP bill, that eligibility bill, where they're, you know, going along with these outside groups that people need to have work requirements and prove all these things and be investigated over and over and over. um, And then taking away uh, people's ability to be eligible for SNAP, which doesn't even come out of the state budget. And so, It was it was that. And then it was the fact that they didn't sign this child labor bill that they passed at the church. That bill allows for 16 and 17 year old children to serve alcohol and bars because it serves food. I mean, oh, really? (laughs) I mean, that's it's it's that type of hypocrisy. And it's just, you know, as someone who loves Jesus, but I'm right now I'm not a I'm not into his fan club. Um it, it it's that it's because you guys are showing through your actions that you don't believe the red letter text, as my grandma that's would right. say.
2: That's, that's absolutely right. And what really
5: do you the, 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 really say?
2: Amen. The red letter text is to take care of the poor, the widows, the sick, the elderly, those in need. And they're doing the opposite. Jesus would have flipped the tables in that court, in that uh, that chamber. Um, Dr. Bavers, I want to ask you how this is going to impact your your you know what your service to humanity. What you do is so important as an OBGYN. Can you imagine how you're going to practice um, medicine in a state that says a 10-year-old has to get on the gurney and give birth to her rapist. It, it let's say be her let's say that's her father, her uncles. Uh, child that just to go through nine months of that, that, you know, how is a 10 year old supposed to report this incest? Are they going to drive themselves to the, to the police station? I don't think that's going to happen. Just talk about how this is going to impact your work.
4: Absolutely. So one of my um, colleagues said, you know, I don't know any 10 year olds who have read this bill and they're not going to know that they have a 45 day limit on reporting a member of their family who's committing incest they won't know that they have a 45-day limit on reporting a rape. Rape is already a traumatic event. There's a litany of research that shows that the reporting process and the investigative process makes it more traumatic. So this is just further penalization of women who are engaging in sex, as that legislator liked to say. Now, my patients are the ones who bear the burden of having unprotected intercourse or of a contraceptive failure, but men and women will never face the same consequences for those acts. My patients are paying the price. So, you know, the care that I provide to women, I am, you know, I am trained as an obstetrician gynecologist, which is an expert in women's health. I provide full spectrum care to women and I have the medical expertise to take care of my patients and counsel them on the medical options that are available to them in early pregnancy. Um, when I meet a woman who's nearly early pregnant, they know what they want. They know um, in that early pregnancy, the decision that's right for their situation, whether it be economic considerations, relationship considerations, their current family or their future aspirations. So. My job is to take the best care of my patients that I can, and withholding abortion care is a deviation from the medical standard of care that is practiced in the United States and worldwide. Um, The United States already lags in maternal morbidity and mortality, and Iowa, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, is already 50th out of 50 states for OBGYNs per capita. Unfortunately, this legislation is going to create a more difficult and hostile practice environment for the women's health providers here, and our patients will pay the price.
2: yeah. and you know Miss Hilton, uh, you said you moved there is is this a place number one that you want to stay after this or and have your children stay? And the second thing I will note is that you know Georgia passed has exactly the same Uh, kind of abortion ban, and the politicians there paid no price for it, even though um, the numbers show that there's been a, a a disproportionate impact, particularly on women of color. Do you believe that people in Iowa that you now know will actually vote them out as people were chanting there? Or if not, do you think people will start to leave?
5: I hope so. I hope people vote them out because the Des Moines Register did a poll Um, and their polls are pretty accurate and 61% of Iowans did not agree to taking away the right of abortion access. And I think that, you know, my, you know, the words that I said, I, I think that since I've moved here and I, I know, um, the people of Iowa, they really are salt of the earth people. I mean, they just, work every day, people with money, they have combines and land. It's not like you see Maseratis. There's no sports team, no tourism right. types of you know, beaches and things like that. So the people here are really salt of the earth people. But I think seeing that 61% um, have absolutely said they believe that this access should be allowed. I'm hoping that you know more people feel the passion that I felt and yeah. that people that are that haven't been engaged politically become engaged politically. Because what I can tell you is, I'm not afraid of these people. Okay. And I'm not going to be. And that I think that they won't stop until we make them stop. And that's, that's right. what we have to do. We have to make and them stop. We're not going to stop. We Amen. Make them stop.
2: And the only way to make them stop, the only thing politicians understand is vote. Them out. That governor has to get reelected at some point, and so do all those state senators and state representatives. That's the power that you have. You can just get rid of them and make them unemployed. Uh, Felicia Hilton and Dr. Emily Bavers, thank you both. Uh, God bless, and uh, good luck with what you're having to fight in the state of Iowa. Coming up next, the hits just keep on coming. More new reporting on questionable ethics behavior from Supreme Court Justice uh, and fancy trips aficionado Clarence Thomas. So, what is fair market value for a favorable Supreme Court ruling these days? We'll Back. Another day, another Supreme Court drama. The Guardian is reporting that lawyers who had business before the Supreme Court paid money to a top aide to Justice Clarence Thomas. The newspaper discovered the public Venmo account of one of Thomas's aides. The aide's account seemed to show that he received seven payments in November and December of 2019 from lawyers who previously served as Thomas' legal clerks. Upon further digging, the Guardian noted that it seemed that the purpose of each payment is listed as either Christmas Party, Thomas Christmas Party, CT Christmas Party, or CT Xmas Party, in an apparent reference to the justices' initials. Who are these folks enjoying these Christmas parties? Reportedly, there are people who have had successful business before the court, including someone who argued the affirmative action case, a former White House deputy counsel in the Trump administration, and the former Solicitor General of West Virginia, who had a key role in a case before the court that limited the EPA's ability to regulate greenhouse gases. One ethical expert did note that it was possible that the former clerks were paying their own party expenses and not expenses for Thomas. All of this comes on the heels of yet another explosive report by The New York Times about how Clarence Thomas gave unusual access to the Horatio Alger Association, a group of ultra wealthy individuals who dole out scholarships. One thing that might help resolve this deluge is a formal code of conduct, which the Supreme Court currently does not have. The Senate Judiciary Committee is looking to do something about that. They are set to mark up and vote on Senator Sheldon Whitehouse's Supreme Court Ethics Recusal and Transparency Act, which would require the justices to adopt a code of conduct, among other things. And joining me now is Senator Sheldon Whitehouse of Rhode Island, a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Moments ago, he delivered a speech on the Senate floor about conservative activist Leonard Leo and his influence on the Supreme Court, Justice Samuel Alito specifically. Uh, and Senator Whitehouse, it's always great to see you. I just want to ask you to give us a condensed version of the speech that you just gave, if you would.
1: Well, the speech basically points out that we are in a very peculiar environment at the Supreme Court with multiple right-wing billionaires. Uh, by my count, we're up to six right-wing billionaires who are in various ways uh, seeing to the care and feeding of so far two United States Supreme Court justices. I think this is the tip of an iceberg. A lot more investigation is required, but we're going to start work uh, this coming week on getting a law passed to try to make this all more transparent and make clear where it's absolutely wrong and shouldn't be done at all, even if you have to disclose it later.
2: Well, I mean, the thing about it, I mean, even the Venmo thing, like, we don't know what they were Venmoing for, what, what they were paying for of these Christmas parties. But I think it's the perception that I think increasingly a lot of us have, and I'll just admit that I have, that what the Supreme Court, at least the conservative six, what they are is a little club with them and their billionaire friends and their former uh, you know, clerks who work for some of these billionaire organizations that are coming in and they're all key together. And then they just happen to get their way like 90 percent of the time in these court rulings. They're all working together. It's the lawyer that's arguing the case is on the board of the Heritage Foundation and they're Leonard Leo's friend and they all vacation together. It is like an oligarchy. It's like this little oligarchy of a few dozen people are making the rules for the rest of us and we have to live with them. And it's not clear those rules are based on the Constitution. It might be based on this small group of rich people's preferences. Is there a, a law that you all could pass that would fix that? Because that's the perception a lot of people have.
1: I think the thing that will fix that is proper investigation. And of course, that's the last thing these billionaires want. We've heard from the one billionaire's lawyer that he won't uh, answer our questions because it would violate separation of powers for us to ask this billionaire questions. It doesn't take much constitutional scholarship to know that separation of powers Protects legislative branches of government from each other. Right. It doesn't have any effect on a billionaire <laughs> right. unless this billionaire, in some weird way, thinks that he's now a fourth branch of government. But aren't they? But I mean, aren't way,
2: they, Senator? I mean, in, in a, a sense, aren't way, they a fourth this branch of billionaires
1: government? Billionaires billionaire has somewhat uh, taken over that role. Yes. I think that the billionaire influence over the Supreme Court is right now greater than the legal influence over the Supreme Court in cases in which the billionaire has taken interest.
2: And this is the thing, like, you know, we cannot know. I mean, Clarence Thomas has been a far-right winger since he got on the court after being credibly accused of sexual harassment, so it's possible that he would have always ruled this way anyway. But the more you hear about him being taken on fancy trips and enjoying the good life and the lush life that he can't afford on whatever 272000 that we're paying him as taxpayers, the more you wonder whether, the, whether even if he was, was sort of steering this way anyway, he steers a little more, because the more he does what these billionaires want, the more goodies he gets, the more goodies his family gets. One of them is his mother's landlord. I can't imagine a city council person not being thrown off the city council for doing that sort of thing, yet our Supreme Court gets to do it.
1: The same guy paid his grandson, who he's raising, his grandnephews, who he's raising, tuition. They are taking them on private jets and pretending that the private jets are food, lodging, (laughs) or entertainment, which are the only allowed exceptions. There are multiple layers to this, but you start with really bad behavior by these justices. And then you start with failures to report and follow the rules within the judiciary about those acts of bad behavior. And then you get to excuses they make about the bad behavior and the failure to report that are preposterous. I mean, eye-rolling excuses like uh, Alito claiming that an airplane is a facility (laughs) – (laughs) And then you get to the fact that they will never, ever, ever come clean about what the facts are. The most basic duty in any investigation to get the facts out, they defend against.
2: Let me ask you about your bill. Um, I mean, I presume Democrats can pass it. Hopefully, you know, somebody like a mansion won't pull something or a Kristen cinema. But presuming you all can pass it. Are you aware of a of a House majority, including a handful of these sort of, you know, try to maybe get out of the swamp Republicans that will pass it on the House side so that you can actually have a bill go to President Biden's desk?
1: I think a great deal depends on continuing investigation. The press, your fourth estate, is doing a masterful job at bringing out information. I think there's going to be a lot more information coming out in the next few weeks. So the story is going to continue to get worse for these justices. And yeah. Republicans are going to be in an increasingly difficult position saying, nothing to see here, folks. Nothing to see here, folks. When even their own federal judges in their home states are rolling their eyes and saying, you got to be kidding me. We would never do this in my court.
2: Yeah. It is, uh, it is a conundrum, hopefully, we'll, or it could also be a voting issue in 2024. We shall see. There are a lot of Senate races coming oh, yeah. up. Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Please keep us posted on the progress of your bill. And still ahead, the U.S. military gets drafted into the right-wing culture wars by a Republican putting his personal religious beliefs ahead of national security. Again, more next.
0: Our commitment to Ukraine will not weaken. We will stand for liberty and freedom today, tomorrow, and for as long as it takes. (laughs) Putin still wrongly believes that he can outlast Ukraine. He can't believe it's their land, their country, and their future. And even after all this time, Putin still doubts our staying power. He's still making a bad bet.
2: That was President Biden today delivering a key speech at the NATO summit in Lithuania, reaffirming the alliance's support for Ukraine after meeting with President Volodymyr Zelensky. The three-day summit was largely seen as a success as NATO showed off its strength against Russia on the world stage, adding Sweden to the alliance, meaning NATO has expanded following Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which has to be Putin's worst nightmare. But even as President Biden is winning at NATO politics, here at home, he's fighting with one hand tied behind his back as Republican electeds use our country's military as a pawn in their culture wars. Today, for example, the House began debating the annual defense bill that sets the military budget for the year, something that is usually passed easily on a bipartisan basis. However, that bill is now being held hostage by the far right Freedom Caucus, as some Republicans are threatening to withhold support unless they tack on amendments that combat wokeness in the military. That includes rolling back a Pentagon policy that helps service members travel out of restrictive red states to access abortion care, defunding the military's diversity, equity, and inclusion programs, and denying transgender troops medical coverage, For transitioning. Meanwhile, Alabama Senator Tommy Tauberville, who needed three tries to understand what a white nationalist is, remains steadfast in his refusal to confirm any promotions to top military positions until the Pentagon agrees to essentially trap U.S. service women in Gilead states like his when they have an unwanted pregnancy by not helping them afford to get out and get care. Which means For the first time in 164 years, the U.S. Marine Corps is operating without a Senate-confirmed commandant, something the nominee for the Joint Chiefs Chair has warned will have widespread impact. But Tuberville seems to think that controlling women's bodies is more important. That's right. The party that once billed itself as the number one supporter of the military has now decided that they'd much rather be using our troops as leverage in what they've dubbed the War on Woke which is really just code for a war on history, black and LGBTQ folks, and women's bodily autonomy. And their chosen strategy for fighting this war has been book bans. Republican-controlled states and counties across the country are stripping school libraries of any book that might include some of these woke themes, which is basically anything that mentions racism or sexuality. But now they've expanded their target to a book that's about an actual war, Jarhead, a veteran's best-selling memoir detailing his experience in the Gulf War in the 90s, has now been banned at a high school in Ottawa County, Michigan, removed from the school library after being deemed an extremely violent, vulgar, pornographic diatribe. The author of that book, Anthony Swafford, is calling the move by the Michigan school board idea-censoring madness. And he joins me next. In the memoir, Jarhead, author Anthony Swaffer details his experience as a Marine in the Gulf War, including the sometimes uncomfortable and ugly truths about what it is like fighting overseas. That book is now banned at a high school in Michigan, just the latest casualty in the Wright's culture wars. In response, Swafford penned a scathing op-ed in the Daily Beast, writing in part, I wanted my book to teach young people things about war I hadn't been taught or hadn't wanted to learn when I was a 17 year old looking to escape a dull suburban life that felt like a prison. I wrote an honest book, and I thought that that honesty would be the book's spine and help sustain it in the world. That 20 years later, a politically stacked school board can, over a matter of a few months and a two hour meeting, Cancel access to my work and the experiences of me and my fellow Marines feels deeply un-American. Joining me now is Anthony Swafford, Gulf War veteran and author of Jarhead, really one of the most famous books for young readers um, that is about the subject of war. And Anthony, thank you for being here. Um, I was shocked when I read the Daily Beast piece that your book was chosen. It's not a book about LGBT issues. It's not about black history. How in the world did your book get caught up in this?
6: Well, I, I think um, you know, a school board uh, was stacked with people who were, uh, you know, far right of center, um, with the intention to, you know, uh, sculpture, you know, the, the culture that their kids are exposed to in certain ways. And um, in, in the fall, my they 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 instituted a policy where basically any member of the community could put up put up a book to be banned, and apparently, for some reason, Jarhead was the first on someone's list. Um, yeah, you know, the book has been off for 20 years. It hasn't yeah. really changed much, but the culture has changed. And yeah, uh, you know, they they, they uh, put in uh, instituted a policy where seven members of the community read the uh, you know the, the offending book and 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 make a, a judgment and pass that on to the board. So that the the book was uh, it was seven to zero in favor of keeping the book in circulation. And then when it went to the full board. Uh, the, the four new members who were who were from the sort of extreme right voted four to three to ban the book. So they didn't yeah. listen to uh, the committee that they put together. So I think the well, the big note here is like pay attention to who's being voted to your local yes. school board, and yep. and like the, these kinds of things matter. Um, the thing that baffles me is that you know if if the idea is that you're you're know, helping run this school board in helping educate young people, that if you start cutting down access to any kind of information, you're, you're not doing your job. You, you're You're actually harming your students. You're not helping them.
2: I mean, and the thing is, the irony is, you know, those same high school students are the age that the very next year after they graduate high school, they might end up in the military. So they might actually be having yeah. the experiences that you're describing in your book, but they're saying they're too young to read about it. And they're acting as if kids have never heard swearing, you know, that they've never seen violence. They, have they seen a movie? I mean, the idea that Jarhead, a book that is about experiences of the age of a little bit older than the kids in high school, to me, is mind blowing that somebody would think it's inappropriate.
6: Yes. Yeah, I mean, it really, like today's standards, it's rather tame, you know, like euphoria or, you know, half a dozen TikTok uh, videos will, will expose children to things that are like, you know, more violent and possibly more obscene than Jarhead is. And and what it is, it's like, it's just a, a true look at what young people experience when they go to war, like h- how how a warrior is made. That was the thing that I wanted to teach people. Like, yeah. this is how young Marines are made. And then this is what happens when they're at combat. And this is what happens when they come home. But if you're a- so afraid of that, then I think you have a real problem in terms of um, you know opening up knowledge avenues of knowledge to your students.
2: Well, and I mean, and
6: the thing I is, also- go, ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, well, I think the message to the constituents in the Hudsonville School District is like any any book is up for banning. Like, just give us yeah. a title if you don't like it, we'll ban it because we have a four to three majority. You we'll
2: can do what they want. The thing about it is that, you know, I mean, what do you make of the fact that we're now at the point where the Marine Corps, in which you served, has no commandant, not because of Mm -hmm. anything about the Marine Corps, but because of this senator's hatred of abortion. And there, and that things like abortion are being sandwiched into uh, what used to be very standard military policy, things like promoting people, making sure that generals get, you know, their, their, their four stars. That, that has now been co-opted by the extreme right and religious right. What do you make of that?
6: Yeah, well, I'm astonished by it. I've been following the Tuberville story. I think he was 85 and 40 at- Auburn, but he's like zero and one with the Marine Corps. I, I don't think oh, he, well. he knows his audience. like, you know, before the God walked on water, the Commandant walked on water for Marines. <laughs> it's it's really important to young Marines who have their boots on the ground that they have a leader, that, yep. that they know that leader's name, and and they really follow his orders. So so yanking that from, from the Marine Corps and, and the, the, what, 60 other nominations, I think, that he's holding up over something that, um sh- you know, Body autonomy for for women who serve in the, in the military is, is ludicrous. It's it's kind of disgusting, really.
2: Yeah, I mean we're, we we have really entered, I think, the twilight zone uh, when a senator can try to conflate those two things because of his own personal religious beliefs. That's what people go into the military come out of is appreciation for other people. You know, for meeting other people, they they're introduced to diversity. There's so many things. My brother, you know, was in the army, the National Guard, in the, so he kind of experienced it as well. Anyway, uh, Anthony Swafford. Thank you very much. And hopefully your book will get unbanned. That is tonight's readout.
1: Why are smart businesses graduating
3: to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth.